Welcome, our dear friends, to Meridian Magazine's Come Follow Me podcast. We are Scott and Maureen Proctor, and today we're going to talk about those magnificent and very interesting books, Jonah and Micah, in a lesson called He Delighteth in Mercy. And we have with us today one of our favorite guests who we love to have with us, and that's Patrick Dane. Patrick is one of our great friends, and he is an institute teacher up in Logan at Utah State University. He has uh, taught many times at Education Week and in many diverse locations. He's a master teacher. He loves the scriptures, and we love working with him and discussing these things with him. So again, welcome, Patrick, to this uh, podcast this week. Thank you very much. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. Before we launch into our podcast, though, this is the famous Jonah and the Well story, which we have known that much of it really well since we've been children. We've had seen lots of illustrations of it. And so it makes you wonder about this well experience. Um, and Scott, we had our own well experience in Oman. We did. We were spending some time. In fact, it was our very first time to Oman to this best candidate for where Nephi built the ship. And it's in this very remote location. And we had these young boys who were going to pick us up after we'd been there for a couple of days and they picked us up in a little fishing boat that was maybe 14, 14 or 16 feet long. And, and so we were, uh, we'd been through so much to that point. We'd been hot. It was 115 degrees. We'd been covered with ticks. We had been through so many experiences and we were so tired and thirsty and the boys came and picked us up. And as we're going back out and you have to know, you have to go about 10 to 12 kilometers by sea to get to one of the fishing villages where you can access your car so that you can go back to the main uh, area of civilization. So that particular day, these boys picked us up and we're heading back on the Arabian Sea. It's a beautiful, beautiful sea. And as we're heading back, we're just skimming along the water and all of a sudden the boys cut the motor and we look back at them and they're just pale faced and they're saying, very big fish eats people. And we had just seen this huge swell that went beneath the boat. And we didn't know what it was, but we could feel this big thing that went underneath the boat. And of course, they're saying, Nimrani, Nimrani. And we didn't know what Nimrani was. And so we just pictured great white shark, you know, and that it was going to eat the boat and eat us. And so we're watching this. And it just, uh, of course, just gave us the chills up and down. And we're just thinking, is this the end or just what are we thinking here? And, and of course, we had all kinds of other experiences, but we found out later a Nimrani was a whale shark. Now, if I would have known it was a whale shark, I might have jumped in to swim with it because uh, that's one of my bucket list items is to swim with the whale shark because they're, you know, they're not, uh, they're not carnivorous. They, they're plankton eaters. And, but it was interesting to think because the whale shark is the largest fish in the sea because a whale of course is a is a mammal and so this is the largest fish in the sea and the they can be up to 60 feet long and weigh 45,000 pounds now the reason we put this before you is because you know one of the candidates for the fish that swallowed Jonah is a whale shark now they don't have a very big esophagus that's a little bit of a problem but they have a very large mouth that can fit a, a human in there without any issue at all but just putting that in your mind, and as we thought about this, and as we were there right on the Arabian Sea with this whale shark beneath our small boat, uh, 
you know, it comes to our minds that this was quite the experience for Jonah as he is leaving Joppa and heading to Tarshish to kind of avoid this mission that the Lord had called him on to go to call Nineveh to repentance. Now, if you Google people who have been swallowed by whales, you find out that many have been, even this year, 2022, a man uh, near Cape Cod was swallowed by a whale. He was only in there 30 to 40 seconds. But there's another man named Luigi Marquez, a Spanish fisherman who was swallowed by a whale and was in there three days and three nights, just like Jonah was. And he had um, his watch was waterproof. And so he had this light from his watch. So he could see a little bit inside, but he was eating raw fish. He said it was just freezing cold and very putrid. <laughs> so so really people do get swallowed by whales. It, it's unusual, but this is not outlandish, this wonderful story that we have. So Patrick, let's begin to weigh in on what's really happening here. Um, this call to Nineveh, why would that be so wrenching to Jonah? Oh, and fish stories everywhere, it sounds like. Unfortunately, these are true fish stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Assyria. I mean, one of the capitals of Assyria. And Assyria, this neo-Assyrian empire, was known throughout the ancient world as being brutal, dictatorial. And and it was it was a great uh, civilization that was coming to destroy Israel and the, the threat to Judah and, and the great king, Sennacherib. And you hear are all these stories about what they will do. They're inventors of crucifixion and, and sowing salt in the soil and what they will do. I mean, it was terrifying. In fact, the Romans would even tell stories about the Assyrian will get you. Um, so getting called to Assyria would be I don't want to give a modern equivalent, but it's the scariest place one could ever get possibly sent to um, among a people that were known for their violence, known for their uh, for their pagan worship, and known for their ability to wage war. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a terrifying prospect. Well, yes, and I know when they waged war, sometimes they gave money for the number of heads you could bring in of the opposing army. And they not only did they burn the cities down, but they denuded the trees, like you said, and salt into the soils. They want to, to be clear that they are the absolute conquerors of the world and no pity, no mercy whatsoever. So this is a call, Patrick, that he gets. And why in the world would he avoid a, a call like that? <laughs> well, yeah, scary. Not to mention scary, but uh, you have... Uh, Jesus himself, uh, who gives us, uh, when his detractors would say, show us a sign, show us a sign. And you'll see this in Matthew 12 or Luke 11, where he'll say things like, I give you no sign, but that of the sign of the prophet John, as he was three days and three nights in the, in the fish's belly. So shall I be three days and three nights. And so Jonah becomes this incredible, not just a story, but it's as a type and a shadow for many individuals, Christ being chief among them, where, and he has many downers. You'll see seven very specific downers where, where Jonah goes through, where he goes down to, where he goes down to Joppa, you see in the first chapter, Joppa, interestingly enough, means beautiful, this beautiful port city, he goes down into the ship, down into the sides of the ship, and down into the sea itself, down into the belly of the fish, down into the bottoms of the mountains of the sea, and ultimately down into hell or Sheol itself. And and so you have these seven downers going all the way down. This this perfect down <laughs> is what we're dealing with. Ultimately, God will raise him up. 
and uh, and and what he becomes this great uh, minister to this people who are ultimately the down of all people who uh, turn themselves around. And the King James who are overcome, better translation that they turn around and they they turn back to God. And boy, this is a story of downers followed by uppers and and the process by which we uh, are, are reborn, uh, rejuvenated, resurrected. It's an incredible story like that. And Patrick, I thought it was interesting when we were talking before we started recording today of the experience of Jonah, and there is some thinking that uh, Jonah didn't just sit in the stomach of the whale and he was just, you know, maybe singing hymns or contemplating or whatever, but that that it's that he actually passed away. Tell us about that whole uh, theory and how that plays into the type of Christ. Well, yeah, as you as you specifically the end of verse, well, the last verse of chapter one, where he's three days uh, and three nights in the belly of the fish. That reference to three days is highly significant, where you'll see in Genesis 1, uh, new life begins on the third day, or the Lord visiting Sinai in Exodus 19. He comes at the third day, where at marriage feast at Cana of Galilee, the first of the signs in the Gospel of John, it's on the third day. The day of double blessings uh, is what the Jews will call it. Uh, there's reasons for that. Or Abraham and Isaac, the third day. Alma the younger, the third day. Or Hosea uh, chapter 6, where the covenant is renewed on the third day. Um, what happens on this third day where, where and the language itself seems to indicate, in fact, if you were just to read this to someone without saying he was resuscitated, what happens to this man? And in, in chapter 2, verse 1, where the Jonah prayed unto the Lord and his God out of the fish's belly, um, he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell or Sheol. Sheol is the world of the spirits. Uh, it seems that the miracle is not that he survived for three days and three nights, but that he he went into the world of the spirits, was dead. And you look at this description about the weeds were wrapped around my head. Uh, the the water itself was comest me and or suffocating me, as we would say, drowning me. And, and then, the, then he was lost and how he gets restored. And Jesus is using this as a sign of his own death, burial, and resurrection. And it seems that uh, it's more fitting that he would have died and was reborn like, like Jesus was, or, or like Elijah raising uh, the young boy back to life. I mean, this is, if, if he survived for three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, that seems to be a lesser sign that Jesus is using. But uh, uh, Jesus's own baptism, the sign uh, was given of the dove. Jonah means the dove, where the sign is given that this man is the new Jonah. And he's he's overcoming the world and bringing the chaos of our lives into new life. Uh, and so the description in Jonah chapter 2 seems to be one of, of a man who's gone into hell itself or Sheol, or the world of the spirits, and is thus reborn. Okay, so you not only have this story with Jonah, but then also with Jesus, with with Simon in Matthew 16. Simon, whom do men say I, the son of man, am, remember? And then he's, he does this up at Caesarea Philippi. And the connections of Caesarea and and the gates of hell being up there at Caesarea Philippi, and and what it means. So, uh, but then he says, Simon Barjona, Simon son of the dove. Uh, no, whether he's Simon Peter really is a, the son of a man named Jonah, or Jesus is becoming the new Jonah again. You are the rock that is cut away from the rock, where um, as you must die. That's what. 
that's the only parable you have in the gospel of John is John 12 verse 24, the seed that must die and thus be reborn again. Three is the number of the covenant always in the Old Testament. And it's the covenant that enables us to be reborn again. Always covenants are made in the name of three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, where uh, baptism itself, Paul the Apostle in Romans 6 talks about it being a, a death, a burial, and a resurrection. It seems that uh, on the Day of Atonement, where Jews will read this every year on the Day of Atonement, where uh, how is atonement made where we all must go through what Jonah goes through? We all must die and be reborn again. Seems to be the great type and shadow of death, burial, and resurrection. Well, and I think that the chapter two is so very um, expressive. He says, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. And it's so interesting because... Jonah's idea was to escape the Lord, escape the mission, but the Lord is everywhere. You can't find a place to escape. Where where could you possibly go that you could escape the Lord? He is in all places. You think it's really meaningful that he's in these darkest places because all of us find ourselves in these darkest places sometimes. And um, to know that the Lord will rescue us and lift us from those darkest places is so heartening. Sometimes Satan tells us that you've gone too far and the Lord won't help you in terms of sin. But sometimes he'll just say to you, your situation is hopeless. Give up heart. Give up your joy and sense that anything will ever work out for you because it won't you know, you are in the darkest place and you are going to be here forever, is what the adversary tells us. And yet here we see in this beautiful story that the Lord is with us even in the depths and we can call out to him even in those hardest, darkest places and he can rescue us. You know, there's two things that come to my mind, Maureen and Patrick, as you're talking there. One is... Uh, I was thinking again, the logistics of this whale. I'm sorry to be so uh, specific here, but I was studying various whales in preparation for this. And one of the whales that's a, a major candidate for this is a sperm whale. And the sperm whale can dive deeper than any other, at least that they've observed or known, uh, and any other whale. It can dive down to 10,000 feet and stay down for like two hours on one breath. And so that type of being in the depths and going down, 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 down is also seems to be typical of what we've been talking about here. But also this darkness that we can find ourselves in. I was thinking about the fact uh, when I first spoke in the prison, uh, it was the Utah State Prison, and I was there speaking to, a, I think it was a church meeting. And I think we spoke there a number of times, but the first time I was there, I was meeting with some of the inmates, and one of them said to me, you know, when when I was here and just in my darkest moments, um, Jesus came to me, and he was talking to me, and he, he was in my cell with me, and he was telling me that uh, I could be okay if I would just follow his words and, and draw close to him. And I thought, yeah, this guy is, has lost it for sure, because Jesus doesn't come 
to the Utah State Prison. I'm sure he would never be in a place like this. And then when I had another inmate say that to me, I thought, well, that's interesting. This guy said the same thing as that guy did a couple of weeks ago. And then I had another one say, and I heard it so many times, I thought, you know, when I was in prison, you visited me is what he taught and he lives what he teaches. And I thought, I, I'm looking at a new Lord that I haven't understood before. And you're right, Maureen, he, he really is with us in every circumstance. He will come to us. He will be with us. He will bring us out of that darkness. And he is the only one who can save us. Those are both beautiful expressions, and I mean that sincerely. In fact, uh, Maureen, when you were talking, and you and, and Scott, when you were talking about the prison, I, I, I was naturally drawn to chapter 2, verse 7, where Jonah prays, when my soul fainted within me, boy, who hasn't felt that to some kind, form, or degree, fainted with it, died within me, I remembered, there's, remember, there's sacramental images going on here, I remembered the Lord, and I... Um, had an interesting discussion with Institute students uh, recently where we're actually in the Gospel of John and uh, John 6, where you find Jesus being the Jonah, where in the story of Jonah, these Phoenicians, well, likely Phoenician sailors, these masters of the sea who no one can handle a boat better on the sea than these Phoenicians, and and yet they are out of control. They, they've lost a sense that this is a, a new kind of storm. And so the solution is, as they cast the lots and the lot falls upon uh, Jonah or the Lord, that Jonah is a willing sacrifice as he is cast into the chaos of the sea, the fishes of, of, the, of our world. And you read the Psalms or Isaiah 27, talk about Leviathan even, these overwhelming fishes that can overwhelm us and cause our souls to faint. But as he is the willing sacrifice that enters into chaos and enters into death, how am I restored? And it's interesting when you read John 6, there's that when Jesus comes to them at the sea and these Galilean fishermen who have lost control of their boat, their vessel, remember these vessels are indicative of our souls. And, and, and they thought that, you know, carousel not that we perish. There's a, some of our hymns that, that speak of this, but there's that phrase in John six. It's very telling where they willingly received him into their ship. It seems that when Jesus willingly is cast into the sea as Jonah when we willingly receive him into our ship, they are immediately at the place at Capernaum where they were meant to go. So the question now becomes, when my soul faints within me, how do I willingly receive our Lord, the Jonah, the dove, into my vessel? How do I do that? It's an interesting discussion because he, they immediately received the miracle as, as they, and you look at Jonah, well, that same verse, Jonah 2 verse 7 my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. It, it seems that when Jonah's attention is drawn to God's holy temple, his his soul is now opened to the source of his of, of his rebirth and his rejuvenation. It's fascinating to see what President Nelson is doing with the temple and turning our attention to the temple, this chaos of the world that's surrounding us and and calling out to God in his temple from his earthly temples and being worthy of those temples. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of temple imagery that's going on here as well. I was thinking as you were talking there, Patrick, that uh, how the Lord had prepared. I, and by the way, I love what you just said. I love the imagery there. I love this whole thought of receiving the Lord into our vessel. That is just such a powerful, powerful image. And 
uh, we were just on the Sea of Galilee a few days ago, Maureen and I were, and, uh, and we were out on a boat there and we were contemplating the carest thou not that we perish story. And, um, but this, this idea that you've presented is so beautiful and so, so true. And I, I love that. I also love how the Lord can prepare all things. He prepared this fish for Jonah. He prepared the fish that had the coin in the mouth for Peter to cast that first hook into the water and pull him out. He prepared all those fish that when he said to the disciples, cast your net on the other side and you shall find. And I love this this relationship he has with fish. It's really exciting and cool because that means he has that relationship with all of nature and with each of us as we receive him, as we let him come into our vessel. I really love that. Thank you so much for that. And it means if we're going to let him in, there are some things we have to let go of that are really hard to let go of when we're in those down, 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 down moments. We have to let go of fear. Fear really stands in the way of our relationship with God. It just is like a big block that holds us in paralysis. We have to let go of controlling what might happen. We see really clearly that we are not in control. And if we can let go of some of these things that block us from feeling his spirit in those darkest places, we can feel him. And I think sometimes in those darkest places, that's where we get our testimonies. Speaking of being on the Sea of Galilee, we were recounting this story of when Christ walked across the water to them. And of course, they were affrighted. They were already in a contrary winds and, and rowing for all their might. But they didn't know who this was that was coming toward them across the water. And the Lord says to them, Be not afraid. It is I. Be of good cheer. So there they are in the hardest place, and the Lord is telling them, it is I and I am coming for you. You do not have to think that somehow I have forgotten you or I am not going to be there for you or that your situation is so bad I've never seen anything like it before and I don't know what to do. The Lord knows exactly what to do for us in those darkest moments. Those links to the Sea of Galilee and the Lord identifying himself, uh, it is I or I am, Identifying who he is, I'm drawn to Jonah 2, verse 10, where the King James says, The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. The Lord spake, the, Lord, the Lord's word. And as I read Jonah 2, there's a few things, patterns that, that stand out as to what would elicit this, this uh, vomiting of the fish uh, of Jonah back, being reborn, uh, the tomb, coming forth from the tomb. And One of them is where he says in verse four, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. You see that where he's he's caused to look again towards where God's presence is. But then also as you read this incredible temple prayer, uh, Jonah is extensively uh, quoting from uh, the book of Psalms, uh, Jonah 2, 2, that's Psalm 120, 120, or uh, the, the third verse, that's Psalm 42. And Psalm 31, Psalm 69, Psalm 142. These are all Psalms throughout Jonah 2. There's, there's more Psalms that the language of the Psalms are being employed here. These uh, the Psalms of praise, the word is being invoked and that word causes him to turn towards God's holy temple and Jesus is the word uh, that is made flesh. And when, when our attention is, turns to him, and drawn to him, where he casts out the fear, when we were, then we willingly receive him, him into our vessel. 
then this Leviathan, this great fish, this horror of, of the chaos of the seas, then, then offers up, the tomb offers up not only our Lord, but, uh, the, but we are the one that comes forth from the watery grave, from, uh, from the tomb of baptism, that, that with this new life, this new name, this new beginning, um, when our souls fainted within us, uh, it just the word causes us to turn towards his holy temple. And as we keep our focus centered on him who is the holy temple, being worthy of this covenantal love that we have, then the tomb offers us up with this new life. And it's just a beautiful image, both of resurrection and covenantal love being brought to bear here. And in that way, Jonah is a type of Christ, and then he's also a type of all of us, all of us who are in the depths and all of us who need Christ to pull us out and Christ can come there to get us. So let's talk now about Jonah. Actually, on the second time the Lord talked to me, he said, now, you have to go to Nineveh and call them to repentance. So this time he's going to do it, and I don't blame him. I think he's had a good experience, and he's he's ready to serve now. So he makes his way across to Nineveh, which is described as this great city that is three days' journey. That means when you're in the city, it takes you three days to get across. There were about 120,000 people in this city by most accounts. It's a very large city for the ancient world. and uh, his mission is to call them to repentance. And it's interesting. The only thing we have that he says is just eight words. He said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now that's not much of a speech and I'm sure we don't have the full record, but I think Jonah was kind of excited to then sit back and watch it happen. You know, he was, he's done his job. He's filled his mission he said what he was supposed to say, and now he's uh, ready for them to be destroyed. And oh, the surprise. Suddenly they put on sackcloth and, and ashes and all the way up to the king. They are, they are going to repent. Uh, who knew? These wicked people are going to repent. And uh, that doesn't really fit what Jonah was thinking would happen at all. Uh, yeah, I find it interesting how Jonah uses th- that. You're right, Scott, that, that simple 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Whether Jonah knew it or not, I think that is one of the most prophetic statements about the atonement of Jesus Christ there is. If if Nineveh is a type and shadow for the world in which we live, and 40 days, this period of probation, this period of testing, this period whereby we're all tested, well, what's the result? The world shall be overthrown. Well, it's interesting that he's viewing it as the judgments of fiery judgments of God, like Sodom and Gomorrah shall rain down upon him. But that word overthrown gets translated 13 times uh, as overthrown, but at least 50, 60 times in the Old Testament, it gets translated as turn, to turn back to God. So the question is, is did Jonah's prophecy come to pass? And the answer would, would, would be yes. 40 days, they did turn to God. They, they did turn back. Jonah's expectation was the overthrowing part, the justice of God, where, where no, they're, they're sackcloth and ashes. They turned to God. His prophecy was fulfilled, but it wasn't in the way that Jonah expected that it was. It was uh, is turning back. And so when you look at our lives, this period of probation, we will turn to God. And what causes us to be turned to God? What is it? Well, it seems that the 
that whether Jonah knew it or not, I'm not qualified to say yes or no, whether he knew it or not, but Jonah was the minister that enabled them to turn to God. And if Jonah is a type for Christ, it's Christ that enables us to turn back to God throughout this period of probation that we go through. Um, one of the major uh, uh, gods of ancient Nineveh was Dagon, the, the fish god, incidentally. And as the as this fish god is overcome by the one who is the great, uh, who's overcome even the great fish of the sea, it is the dove that, that, that does this, that this messenger of peace, whether he knows it or not, he's preaching fire and brimstone, but his simple sermon is evidence that they did turn back. And I think it's fascinating. It's a 40 day ministry as well, just like Jesus's was in, in the resurrection. It's a 40 day ministry. There's so much about this that, that Jesus enters into the world. Jonah enters into the world and it's a 40 day ministry. And, and, True enough. I mean, it's 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 the message of the Gospels in the book of Acts right here. Well, it's interesting that when the people have repented, that Jonah is displeased. He's unhappy about it. And he says to the Lord, I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live, because these people have been saved and spared through Jonah's own teaching. How do you read that? Is that just a, a flaw in his character, or what's going on there? You throw one of the biggest questions on me. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> I, I do see think there's some interesting patterns here, though, because he does go out of the city sits on the east side of the city. That, that's an interesting connection here where you find the sun rises in the east, sets in the west. You find God in the east. And he always brings you to the west. Uh, uh, you, you'll find where uh, the face of God is in the east, but always turns us to the west. Um, and it's fascinating, though, because east is where uh, the temple is always facing the east also. Okay, so he's on the east side. He makes himself a booth. That's a deliberate reference to the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Booths right there is, is where we dwell safely under Messiah's protection in the wilderness wanderings, where they make booths. Jesus does that in the, uh, in the Gospel of John as well. And he does this wonderful miracle during the Feast of Booths, where living water shall come forth from your belly, just, just as Jonah was swallowed in the fish's belly, and he comes forth as, as the reborn one. Uh, this living water comes forth from the belly of the earth. That's the idea that Jesus is referring to in John 7. But God prepares this gourd, this bean plant of some fort, and then, he, and then he's upset with the whole idea. But he then he prepares a worm. You see that in Jonah chapter 4, verse 7, where Jesus himself says, I am a worm. That You'll see that in the Psalms as well. This When you don't have the vision, I will prepare a means by which you can catch the vision and see what the vision is. And uh, and this prophecy, while it was true, Jonah needs to be brought around to see what the nature of the prophecy was. It's not God's judgment coming down. It's his mercy that's coming down. And the destruction of this bean plant is, is evidence of that idea. And he is brought around to see. Well, we would assume it is because it ends in verse 11. Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, where are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle. It's interesting how the cattle themselves are, are, are being evidence of God's mercy here. So whether he catches a vision or not, 
Jonah is reborn in us and we'd better catch the vision. I think that's the point. I would say Jonah is also type for us. It's read at Yom Kippur, Dev Atonement, where our redemption happens because of atonement. We're chosen, we're commissioned, we're disobedient to God's will. We go among the Gentiles uh, through our ministry. The, the pagans come to know God. We become the ministers uh, of God. Uh, they are miraculously preserved. We are miraculously preserved. It's through our prayer that we have the charity of God that that comes into our soul. That's what Moroni says, Moroni chapter seven. And then the promises of God of both uh, our redemption as well as the redemption of the pagans or the Gentiles is brought to bear. That, that's our story. It, it's, it's, it's an incredible witness of not only Jesus Christ, but our story of becoming the Jonah. So now let's just move into Micah for a couple of minutes because we've really focused on Jonah. And that's been a wonderful discussion. Thank you, both of you, for your thoughts on this. This has been fascinating to me. I've certainly been edified. But let's just look at Micah for a minute. And I'm fascinated by uh, chapter 4 because he uses the almost the exact same language as Isaiah chapter 2, where he says, In the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And so there's that temple image, this importance that they would bring this up in in the um, 8th century BC, that this is important for them to hear, but it's it's talking about our time as well. And this these temples being built, we're living in that very time. So Patrick, what does that bring? Those images, what do they bring to your mind? Yeah, I Isaiah and Micah living roughly at the same time. Uh, the temple is the one place where the Lord shall establish his presence. And they needed to hear that in the 8th century. And as you look at Isaiah's very deliberate reference, he says it shall come to pass in the last days that both Isaiah and Micah's uh, prophecy are meant to be read in the last days. And and I would point out where there's lots of judgment going on in Micah because of, of many reasons, but compromising their covenants. When I read chapter 7, the, just the last few verses, where why should God listen to our prayers being offered up to him? And Micah very specifically gives two reasons. And you look at chapter 7, verse 18, it's because of his character, his perfections, his attributes. This is why God will listen. He will not leave us comfortless. He delights in mercy. That's verse 18. And then verses 19 and 20, because of his covenant love that he extends. Uh, because we dwell in this covenant, he is bound to offer as we turn uh, turn our attention to him. And so, boy, those are two messages that are very relevant to our day is know the character of God. And number two, abide in this covenantal relationship that is bound in his love. I think it's very relevant. The second one, the Lord's covenantal love, whereby we abide in his, coven his covenant, and that's centered in the temple. So it's not only relevant uh, at his day, it's also I would even dare to say far more relevant today where uh, the Lord is is flooding the earth with his His temple, whereby we enter into this covenantal love. And I don't want to miss the fact that Micah mentions in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So this is the one reference we have to the fact that the Messiah 
will come out of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem means in Hebrew, house of bread, Bethlehem. And in Arabic, it means house of flesh. And I think that's very significant to the fact that this bread of life will come out of this town, the city of David, and he will be indeed the bread of life for all of us, that if we partake of it, we will never hunger again. And of course, Matthew's gospel refers to this reference, uh, which is really interesting because, of course, Matthew is talking to the Jews and he's going to pull up all the relevant scriptures that point to the reality that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. It's a beautiful thing, this this place of fruitfulness, um, which is really uh, what the reference is to also originates in the house of bread, Beit Lechem, the house of bread. And he not only brings forth fruit, but to give us life more abundantly, as he says in John 10. And boy, that's that's dwelling in covenant love. What a joyous discussion we've had today. Thank you, Patrick Dane, for joining us. And this has been a wonderful time to talk about Jonah and Micah. Next week, we'll be studying Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah in a lesson called His Ways Are Everlasting. We want to remind you, our listeners, that we have our beautiful 2023 New Testament calendar available now. It's got stunning images from the Holy Land that will be there for you for the entire year of study of the New Testament. And it has the Come Follow Me lessons written out so you can just glance at the wall and see where you need to be in your reading. We know that you'll enjoy this. You can go and find it at latterdaysaintmag.com forward slash 2023. That's latterdaysaintmag.com forward slash 2023. Thanks as always to Paul Cardall for the music which accompanies this podcast and also to our producer, Michaela Proctor Hutchins. Have a great week and see you next time.